Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and as always I am joined by Will Murden, who is now back on the beers, buying things that are really, really stupid with his credit card. He's gambling again. What is going on, Will? I'm not good, mate. I'm not, I'm not good. Thing, <laughs> not things good. are not good on my end at the moment. I've had a rough week. Th- things are not going my way. And I'm not one to let these get me down, but just to be honest, I'm coming in a bit flat today because okay. I, I haven't had a great week. So to take you through it, uh, this time last week, football training, uh, the old classic old man popped a calf like just really floating across the top of the grass, first half of training, right towards the back end. I'm like, poof, ooh, what's that? Fuck, that's just old age. That is old age there. Did you feel it? Like I hear like it's... No, it wasn't a bad one, but it was just like, that's not right. That ain't right. So I thought I'd rest her over the weekend. Um, Went out to watch the game, watch the boys go, you know, support the team. Fantastic. Still got involved in the game. So I was on the sideline. I ended up calling for a count in our game. There was a bit of a brawl, cards, and then they had too many on. So I'm like, fuck it, call a count. Fuck these guys. <laughs> that was a bit of fun. But um, when I was in the rooms with our boys, uh, I'd parked around around the oval, somewhere up on the wing. Oh, this is one, of, like this. one of our uh, players in, in the twos uh, thought he'd try and kick towards the goal, but hit the complete opposite side of his fucking foot. Um <laughs> Could not get a punting scholarship at the Campbell Fighting Camels with, with inaccuracy like this. He's put it through my front windscreen, so bang, that's gone. Um, apparently, the excess on that is fucking expensive. Like, woof. Why are you parking woof. around the Oval? What? Where were you? At home? No, we're away. We're away, so... Oh. I, I, like it did was he, just did he throw you some money or something? Like, he offered. He... he offered, but I'm, I'm like, he didn't do it deliberately. Did you? And, and it, I don't think he did it deliberately. So, no, I just wear that. That sucks. So that, that's where things started, right? I've hurt myself, gone out of the game, 600 bucks later. Like, fuck me. I could, I could fly, watch the Hawks play, come back, have a good time in Melbourne, come back here to Adelaide and still get off cheaper than heading out to fucking Birdwood. So that's how things started for me. Not great, right? Uh, I've, then, I've then this week uh, jumped in on me on me card statement and I'm seeing that there are a few suspect transactions and at first I'm like yeah you know I'm back on the beers maybe that is me doing some stuff that perhaps I shouldn't be like some Vietnamese transactions uh, and, and a few bits and pieces so immediately I'm like no nah, I'm not going to cancel the card you know that's a pain in the ass Sure enough, uh, this morning I've signed up to a American f- streaming service called Shudder. They do horror movies and the like, apparently. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm paying for that. I'm getting the international transaction. I'm like, fuck it, this is not me. Uh, I need to follow up with this. So, so I've got some issues there. Um, the calf's still no good. I tried to run around with it. It's still fucking giving me, giving me grief. So I'm not happy there. It, like, it, it, I'm just not having a good time. So I've, I've been punching through a few beers this afternoon. Uh, getting through the last of me, me Tokyo Sapporo uh, post <laughs> post Olympics, but it's it's not all great at the moment. Oh, mate, I think it's funny watching your life divulge into a flaming bag of trash. So I'm okay with it, and I'm sure the listeners are too because it makes me giggle. Uh, so, mate, keep your chin up; you'll be okay. Uh, like we do on my show, we've ended up out in the fucking weeds here. 
not even close, remotely close to talking anything about college football. But we will get to that, of course. This is our Pac-12 preview show. So let's right the ship. Let's get back on track. I know, you know, you, you've had a tough week. So we'll get you through by talking, you know, Oregon State football. And, and that is what you will get excited about. I know you're a Beavers guy. Well, good, um, good, good acronym, good colours. Like they've, they've got a lot going for them. I think what, what will really get me across the line is that this is potentially the future of the Big 12 as well. So I really need to start to get dialed into the, the Pac-12. This, this could be my conference soon. Okay, not only that, like the Olympics are over as well. Uh, and now we don't talk to each other again during the week outside of college football. Um, the Olympics are over. So uh, hopefully we can actually spend some time together. Is that gonna, That's not going to happen because the English baby's coming. So that's, I'm telling you, we're having one big blowout this Saturday night. Let's do it. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's do that. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's, let's have a crack this weekend. We'll send you off in style. Ugh, well, I'm not dying. But. Well, you think that. <laughs> All right, uh, let's jump into. There's not a whole lot of news at the moment. We've got teams are into their uh, fall camp at the moment, so you've got day one, two, three, four ish uh, in action at the moment. So make sure that you are, if you are joining us or joining the college football season, you are keeping track of that as your team goes. Uh, I will give a piece of Aaron's advice here. Just relax. Don't believe everything you read, which is what I said last time in terms I'm, of uh, college I'm football. Th- I'm thinking I'm getting some real deja vu here. Like no, how no, many no. beers but, did you have last time? Yeah. <laughs> no, but what I want to get to here is like probably some players with the transfer portal are going to put their name in that portal now on the back of fall football when they figure out that they're not going to be a, uh, a starter or they're not in the too deep as they wanted to. And you'll see some transfers happen. Don't freak out. Even if they're like a four-star guy and they're not, you know, and they put themselves up for into transfer and move to a different school. If they're a four-star and they're putting their name in the transfer portal, they're probably not starting anyway. They're probably not going to be make or break. Like, just relax. Players move now. It's not going to be the end of your season. This is coming from a bloke who follows a team that obviously signs way too many overhyped recruits you know, four and five star guys and, and it's not a big deal for you. For, for the likes of an Oklahoma State who might scrape together two, maybe three, four stars a year, it is a fucking big deal. So don't tell me to back off of that because I am going to get upset if I see that because it's very rare for us to achieve those sorts of prospects in our uh, program. Quick question for you then. How many four star players are there per year? Do you know? I don't, no, I don't know. I feel about like 200. Keep going. 300. That's round about the mark. So there's actually more four-star players than there are draft picks in the NFL draft each year. Yeah, I get that. But but if we look across... So like not every four-star is created equal. So don't think that like a four-star kid that goes in the second round is the same as a four-star kid that flops and doesn't make it to the NFL. Like not every four-star kid is going to go on and become a, a round one or round two draft pick. So just calm down on that. No, absolutely not. But I think there is very much a haves and have nots. So if you take like the top 20 programs from a recruiting sense over the last 10 years and the average of four stars that they accumulate versus the rest, like the other 110 that are left fighting for it, I think there's it, it's massively weighted to that top end. Everyone else in that 110 uh, are scrapping for what they can get, and, and they're just trying to develop the guys that they do have there. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm not certainly disagreeing with any of that, and obviously there is weight in those ra- recruit rankings, and I'm not 
throwing that out either. But just don't stress too much if guys transfer and move on or, you know, pull out of football or they get injured. Like, it happens. And it sucks. You don't want it. But not everything goes the same way as your NCAA football franchise. All right. So just ease into it and enjoy. Enjoy the lead-in because I'm starting to get to a point now where I'm ready for football. Uh, We are doing these previews and... It, it just still feels like we're living in 2020 a fraction and especially when we start talking about the Pac-12 which as we transition into these previews man the Pac-12 had a weird year last year like they were out the whole way obviously um, the western states of America again if you're not all over the political scene and we certainly don't expect you to be nor are we and there's no way we can be but the western states are far more liberal so they were you know, taking their time and really delaying that process of playing college football. Uh, and they own some teams sort of got four or five games in, and that was about as good as it got for the Pac-12. Not only that, teams were getting really hard hit. And California was extremely, extremely um, heavily influenced by those COVID, uh, by COVID, I suppose, and the amount of cases that they had. And you just had teams getting wiped out week after week. Uh, and we saw it in the Pac-12 championship game as well when Washington got knocked out simply because of a COVID outbreak as well. So it does, it, you know, the Pac-12 last year was a weird one. And it's hard to take too much away coming into this preview season. What do we really know? Not heaps, I guess. And, and that's my concern with trying to break down the Pac-12 at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Last year was a complete waste of time for the Pac-12. You had a number of programs that got four games off, a number that got seven off, and and all sorts in between. There, it, it was they started so late. All of the top prospects had foregone foregone the year. Uh, all of the big names in the Pac-12 had, had already kind of said that they weren't because it started so late and because there was so much uncertainty about it. So it really was a bit of a shambles and it was really untimely for the Pac-12 because they have been struggling on a national scale for a number of years. Like this, this is has not always been the case but the last few years it had been and then last year to to pile on top of that certainly didn't help things so uh, it was difficult to get into any of their games even when they did start up because they weren't really part of the true narrative of the season we had a group of teams that were competing for a national title in the sec the big 10 the big 12 all of these programs uh, the acc won't leave them out for you mate uh (laughs) They were all, like, it felt like genuinely competing and there were contenders available in all of them. Where the Pac-12, because they started so late, like, yeah, the Big 10 started late, but they still had Ohio State available whilst they were undefeated. The Pac-12, it didn't matter. They started even later than that. Uh, There was nothing going there, so it was really hard to get around. And then, as you said, teams were decimated. You never knew who was going to be kidding up any given week, so it was tough to get a a line on form. It really is just a mulligan of a year, uh, more so than anywhere else. And this year kind of gives us a bit of a, a... clean slate which is exciting in some some aspects all right well let's dive into it then so i have taken the top of the pack 12 in uh alphabetical order you have taken the bottom uh the only thing we do need to make a decision on is which division would you prefer to start the north or the south uh let's do the north let's do the north first all right well why don't you kick us off then 
We'll go reverse alphabetical order for you. So Washington State, the Cougs, get us out the gate with how they are looking up, shaping up in season 2021. All right. Washington State football. So this is a program that did only get four games going last year. They went one and three, and they were transitioning post-Mike Leach. So with uh, Mike Leach leaving town, they got Nick Rolovich across from Hawaii, uh, which I felt was a good get. He, he ran a really fun offense out in Hawaii. They were starting to make some noise, uh, and, and that was... What felt like a good fit in Pullman to kind of replace uh, the air raid offense that they'd had going, but it, it wasn't a great start. We, we saw some concerning uh, trends, I guess, at the start of, of last year, and, and the fact that they went one and three is great. And, and looking at this team here this year, I, I'm a little bit worried about the program. I, I I don't have them as a sell when we talk buy, sell, hold here. I've probably got them as a hold, but that's because they're already a, a lower tier team. But I, but I don't see them taking that step out. I don't think that they're on their journey to becoming challengers in the Pac-12. Uh, this, this program here feels like it's a little bit second rate almost uh, with, with what they've got there. And, and I'm kind of pulling for them because Pullman seems like a fun place to be. Rolovich is, is a good coach, as I mentioned. Um, but I'm not sure what's going to be bringing the heat for them and where they're going to be generating uh, a lot of excitement and, and making things happen. So, so it's always been an offensive thing for Washington State, right? And, and Nick Rolovich comes in uh, not looking to change any of that. Um, I think what a, an interesting development for, for those of you that have been following, Jarrett Guarantano uh, made the move over from Tennessee. So how, how many times have we said transferred out of Tennessee during our preview season? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. I, I feel like there's that many... I can't, I can't wait to the Tennessee preview because I, I want to know who's playing. It feels like they got no one left. But Guarantano was, was a dude that both you and I were like, he, he's got the tools. He's shown yeah. glimpses of being a really special player, but he, he just hasn't pulled it together. So it's, it's a fascinating um, player to come across here and potentially make something happen. But it's going to be tough for him. I mean, they've got a whole bunch of their receivers have moved on uh, and they're going to have to replace that. They're going to need to make some make something happen there uh, with some fresh faces on the scene. Uh, and Max Borgie is, is probably the other name that needs to be mentioned on that offense there to really get things going for them. Um, they, they're going to need to work through him a lot, I feel, uh, to, to establish things. And it's not something that they historically do at Washington State in terms of getting getting the run game going. If, if there is any strength on this side this year, I think it will be on that defensive side. Uh, they do have a lot of experience there. I think they're going to be... a um, a well-oiled machine there in that, you know, I think they've got 10 starters coming back, uh, a really solid linebacking core, but it's just not enough. I don't think they've got the dudes. The The turnover on that offensive side has me a little bit concerned, and, and I think that these guys are certainly going to be towards the lower end of the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree. Uh, 
there's James Delore is the other quarterback that could potentially slot into the starting point. You mentioned Max Borgie and and he did he's a bit of a scat backy kind of type that that worked really well in the Mike Leach air raid because they used the running backs in the past game so much and I think he caught like a truckload like 85 passes or something in 2019. So they'll run the ball more in this run and shoot rather than the true air raid. Um, so that is you know, something expecting that running game to go a little bit more. And you just don't see the depth across the board in terms of just player talent. Like, it's hard to recruit uh, to Washington State in lots of ways. Um, and, you know, I, I tend to agree. I, th- I think it's a hold for them. I, I it, It's a bit of a wait and see with uh, Nick Rolovich. And, and again, I I concur. I think he's he's a good coach, but we need to wait and see what he can put together before we get too excited about uh, Washington State. It's almost like a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sort of deal. All right. It is remiss of me, though, before I, I will jump back in here. It's remiss of me to mention the structure in which we're operating tonight. So that is a buy-sell hold on each of the teams if we think they are going to go better than expected, um, about average or just below. We've also got a bunch of stuff we'll get to as well in terms of teams being sneaky good, sneaky bad, conference champs, and a bold prediction as well to finish. But yeah. Yeah, no, we, we're going to give our uh, strong convictions on some of this stuff. So let's go to the top of the north then, uh, alphabetically. If, if you've started us down the bottom, we'll, we'll meet in the middle. That's cute. Yeah. Uh, California, come uh, at me. So Cal went one and three last year. They are so meh to me. They've been so average over the last couple of years and, and a lot of half-team stuff. By half a team, I mean they've got a really good defense, but their offense has been flat. Now, part of this is to do with injuries. Some of it's luck. Some of it's the schedule. There's been a number of reasons that Cal recently has been a bit mired in mediocrity, but I don't see them getting out of it. And I think they are going to be mediocre again on offense. Chase Garbers returns... He's possibly the best quarterback in the conference, depending Oof. depending on how you feel about Keaton Slovis. Um, but certainly when Chase Garbers is there and, and not injured uh, and playing, he makes that cow offense look completely different. And they are in with a puncher's chance when he is there. They do return a heap of skill position experience. They've got Crawford at wide receivers at wide receiver, but they just don't have the killers. I don't think there's no there's no one on that. And that skill position set that you can say on offense, yeah, let's turn the ball over to LaVisca Chenault. Let's turn the ball over to, I don't know, Demetric Felton, whoever it's going to be, a skill position guy that can really take the game over. Josh Kelly, not only really did that that much, but, you know, someone you can go to that, I've, I've just used two UCLA guys there, that's probably not a great example, <laughs> but um, Michael Pittman then for, for USC, yeah, whoever I'm it's going to be. Like, Brown. Yeah, like give us somebody who can go and win you the game and they just don't have that. And as much as having a good quarterback is a key and, well, critical part of being successful at any level of football, but, you know, certainly at the college level, you've still got to have guys that can do something with the ball in their hands or get open and create separation, make tough catches when they need to. Um, and, and I think that's going to be... that's going to be their Achilles heel all year. The defense, however, has got killer written all over it. 12 of the top 12, uh, sorry, 11 of the top 12 tacklers are back. Elijah Hicks is good from his safety position. And surprise, surprise, Cow have got really, really excellent linebackers. Deng and Good there um, would be looking at all pack 12 honors uh, from a linebacker position. 
The thing, the other thing about Cow, which is a little bit nasty, is their schedule. They go to TCU, they go to Washington, Oregon, and Stanford. I don't, I'm not super high on Stanford this year, um, but then they get USC at home, Washington State, and Nevada, who'll be a really, really good group of five teams. So, again. If they can be that good half a team and the defense can grind out a 14-10 game with Chase Garbers doing some stuff offensively, then they'll probably be okay. But I think they might struggle to go bowling this year. So you're a sell on this cow team? I'm or? going sell on cow, yeah. I'm yeah, not. interesting. Okay. I, I'm more of a buyer uh, in this cow Golden Bears team. I, I like the structure of things. I think they genuinely have the pieces to be a top two defense in the Pac-12. I think there's another unit that's going to be a little bit better than them, but I think they're going to be very strong there. I like uh, Chase Garbers, as you mentioned. I think he ha- he's immensely talented. It's that health thing that's really concerned. He hasn't been able to show it so far that he can stay on the field. And until we see that, there's going to be issues here because, as you say, he doesn't have a great host of skilled players around him to, to help elevate the game and for someone else to stand in and, and keep the, the wheels turning. He needs to do that work himself and if he's not there they're in big trouble but I do like it when he is there with that defense there's certainly opportunity there I've I've probably got them slotted in the third spot uh, in the north here but I I certainly think that they're a bowl eligible team and and I like what they've got going on Um, side note I I, Mm. want to get your take on this so I might have an opportunity to to, uh, get in on some uh, study some some additional study uh, available yes. online, like a, a yes. digital a digital leadership course. Cow Berkeley uh, provided online via their uh, executive management program through Cow Berkeley. This is so douchey. Hurry up! It, incre- <laughs> indeed, it is. So if I go down this path, does that kind of make me like a, a cow alum? Can I get the hat and the sweater and, and just start wearing? It? Like, would you be cool with that, or where, where does that sit? You've like already college got cow. Football. You've got cow bear T-shirts anyway, dude. So you've always been a fan. You've watched games up on Cheatwood or Tightwad Hill and all, and all that sort of stuff at Cow. Uh, no, if you're an online, like no, because like I c- I can go online to any college or school in the world that allows that to happen. Being a to me being a graduate of a particular school involves being on that school physically. Uh, I don't know. That, that's I think for us it. Australians, it's the best we've got. And and for me, it, it means, you know, dual allegiance. Yeah, sure. I might, I might still have, you know, where I physically actually went for Go to the University semester. of Queensland or something then, dude. Go to like Bond. Not into rugby. Don't, don't really care for that. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, no, I, I can't wait. Like, I look good in navy blue, as, as you'll see today. So I think that, that blue and, and gold there, it's strong. <laughs> You finish strong. All right, let's go to uh, the Washington Huskies. This was a team that went three and one overall uh, in Jimmy Lake's first year at the helm. How do you see their 2021 season playing out? Boom. So a team that was robbed of a Pac-12 championship last year, uh, kind of having to hand it in and say that they couldn't make it. I am all about the Huskies this year. I think they're going to be fucking good. I think they're going to win the Pac-12. I'm a massive buyer of this program. I'm really getting after them. Uh, a lot of that is is going to come down to what happens at the quarterback position. So they do have a bit of a, a quarterback battle on their hands, yeah. which is not something you typically want when you're talking about a program that you're really high on. You, you kind of want a set and forget solidified starter there. 
But we don't have that here. There is Dylan Morris, and, and he was a redshirt freshman last year. Showed plenty. I, th- I think there's promise there, and I feel very comfortable with though? him. I thought he was okay. I thought he was okay. Uh, he's an athlete. He's a baller. Um, I, I, think, I think he's got the tools there. He's a little bit shorter, but uh, I, I think he can make it happen. The reason why we have this, uh, this controversy, controversy even is that uh, Sam Hurd is is coming in so he's damon hurd's uh son former uh, nfl quarterback yes yeah absolutely uh and and he's coming in with a whole heap of hype about him so he's a five-star kid uh freshman people really getting excited about him i don't know if if he's the guy straight away but if he turns out to be that must mean he's having a hell of a full camp He's ready to go. So I think they're two good options for this Husky team. But it's not necessarily that that has me really excited about them. What I'm probably most excited about with this Husky team is the front five. They have all five starters returning on what was already probably one of the best offensive line units in the Pac-12. One of the better ones in the nation. Uh, this is a massive group of humans. I think they average somewhere in the vicinity of 320 pounds and six foot five across the group. Uh, and, and they are headlined by Jackson Kirkland, who will be a first round draft pick at that left tackle position. And having that up front just kind of sets the scene for this group here. So I'm really kind of bullish on, on what they can do there. I think they can establish a run game. But when we talk... Uh, Washington football it, it, it's not football that uh, it's not offense that gets it done it's the defensive side and Jimmy Lake is a, a fantastic defensive mind and I think he's going to whip this team up into shape get them moving forward uh, and from that on the back of this defensive team we're going to see some really fantastic production can I but notice uh, and this is something that I, I should have mentioned earlier is obviously being on the west coast of America, you're probably closer to the Pacific Islands. And as a result, you do get far more of the, the Pacific Island and Polynesian players coming through. Um, but you've avoided to try and test out your um, pronunciation skills on some of their defensive players who should be great players this year, I think. Is there anyone that you want to mention? Straight no, out the gate. That that's a good pickup. Dead set. I have fucking avoided that like the plague. <laughs> I, there are so many like vowels in there, and I'm just—it's really intimidating. Uh, so look, you can have a crack. You're you're pretty good with this stuff. Being a teacher, it's you obviously get ridiculed every time you read out a new kid's oh. name and you get it wrong, and and they just must get at you, and you, you yeah. can't whack them. Like you'd want no, to whack them, but you can't whack them. Uh, Zion Tupuola Fatui is a really, really good pass rusher that you need to keep an eye out. He is going to do some damage uh, this year. So he's going to be a really, really good one. Um, and like you said, they've got some monsters on the inside and I, I, I'm going to struggle with these. Um, but Sam Tamani, uh, Tuli Letuligasanoa. Oh, uh, and uh, he's got a couple of running mates there as well. But those two guys especially uh, on the inside are, are big, big space eaters. And I shudder to think, like, with these boys and the offensive line, like, the food bill in the football facility must be astronomical because you know, <laughs> that is just a serious, serious amount of human being that needs energy. And 
I just I just cannot fathom how many weeks those boys must be doing. Uh, I tend to disagree fractionally on the Dylan Morris take. I think that he's a bit meh. And the reason for that, like you just see a guy and they don't quite make the pass. There's, I'm going to drag you back into the depths of history here. And there was a quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers who I thought had all the tools. His name was Sean Hill. And this is going back to probably the late 2000s, I suppose, maybe a little bit after that. Uh, but he was a fantastic quarterback. But then you saw him throw the deep out and he just couldn't get the ball there heavy enough, fast enough. Um, and that was the difference for him. He couldn't throw the balls. Dylan Morris is similar to that to me. Yes, he's got some good skills. Yes, he's good in terms of what he can do in the sort of short to intermediate game. But is he accurate to the sidelines? No. Does he misread? Yes. Like he... He just doesn't quite have it for me in terms of um, the arm strength and the and the overall gameplay and um, squeezing that ball into tight windows. So to me, Dylan Morris, yes, yeah, solid. Like he'll be better than Jake Browning probably, who was a former Washington quarterback. But he's not going to be anything too special because I thought he was when I watched him last year. I was like, yeah, this guy's got it, and then he just actually doesn't. He's my Sean Hill. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, like I, I. I tend to disagree so that'll be an interesting one for us to watch to play out to see whether he does mature and take another step because he has shown flashes of being very promising uh, obviously as, as a young you know redshirt freshman it wasn't all great so I can see where you're coming from absolutely but I'm still optimistic that he can be the guy he seems to have those intangibles that you like in a, a young college kid to come in have that command of the offense and, and that confidence that I think is only going to grow uh, my last point on this Washington team, they've got a massive game week two against Michigan uh, at Michigan, which is tough road trip, but but it feels winnable. And, and it's not, it hasn't been a historically great Michigan program that we're talking about here. So if they can get that win, that's massive for this program. It's massive for the entire Pac-12. And, and I think this team is good enough to do that. So I think they ride God, that. do they need it. God, do they need it as a conference. They've got Oregon at home as well, which is a plus. I think with those two games there, wins on in both of those for this program sets them up massively and, and propels them into the Pac-12 championship game. Okay, interesting. As we go through these Pac-12 previews, it feels like more and more that the Pac-12 is actually going to be relatively even across the board, which is really, really uh, nice, I guess. It, we've sort of seen a little bit of disparity and, and all the hopes have been pinned on the Oregon Ducks to represent the Pac-12 or maybe USC if they can pull it together or Washington and up year. But it feels like there's a number of teams in both the North and the South that certainly will be contending. You hope that they don't beat up on each other too much and you hope that when they get a chance to play in a big out-of-conference game that they can either win that or certainly be competitive. And and unfortunately for the Pac-12, it feels like every big out-of-conference game they go to seems to be on the road. It always feels <laughs> like it's like, oh, you know, Oregon are playing Auburn at a neutral sider, but it's played in like Tennessee. And it's yeah. like, oh, yeah, like that's not a neutral side, but cool. Um, all right, so speaking of the Oregon Ducks, let's move right across to Eugene. This is your Pac-12 champions from 2020. 2020. They went four and three last year and a little bit disappointing. Weird to say that from a Pac-12 championship team, but 
you know, I just didn't think overall that they were that great. They lost to Oregon State in the not Civil War anymore and followed that with a loss to Cow, who weren't particularly impressive after Chase Garbers went down. Tyler Shock is out of town now, and he obviously had his detractors in Eugene, but he's gone to Texas Tech. Anthony Brown comes across from Boston College, appears to be the, the likely starter there at the quarterback position. Uh, but most importantly, he returns two guys that are going to be fantastic in that backfield. CJ Vidal and Travis Dye are probably the best running back tandem in the country. Certainly in the Pac-12, they've got to be up there. Um, they're going to be fantastic and hard to stop, especially with the amount of uh, players they return from the offensive line this year. Um, in Obviously, they, they didn't play with Panay Sul last year, so it's not really a loss in terms of him going to the NFL because he didn't play there last year anyway. Um, so I think the offense is set to be pretty solid and, and, you know, Mario Cristobal has done an okay job running that offense and they get Joe Moorhead over and, and he's a really good offensive coordinator. So I'm thinking good things about him as well. He did a great job, uh, in not so much Mississippi state, but certainly with Trace McSorley, uh, at Penn state. So, uh, and Saquon Barkley. So we should expect a, a high octane quality offense from the ducks. The defense is the one that I don't know how I feel about. They've got some absolute superstars. Noah Sewell, uh, Isaac Slade, Matutia, and uh, obviously, of course, uh, Kavion Thibodeau as well, who plays that kind of D-end linebacker hybrid in that 3-4. But they've also got gaps as well. So whilst they've got superstars, there's also some holes in that defense, and I don't really know how to feel about it. They need Thibodeau to go and become an absolute freak. There is a danger, and I'm putting this out here very early, but he goes and becomes the Jadavian Clowney of the college football world next year. And that is, he promises a lot. He's an athletic freak, but just can't quite quite get to the quarterback as much as you would expect. Now, he's got 12 sacks over his first two seasons, but you really need like a, you need a 10 to 15 sack season from him. I know that's asking a lot, but for someone of his skill set and a full season, like that's what you would expect from a top five kind of college defensive end. And he needs to provide something like that. I think he'll be a good one, but we need to see him take that step forward. The Ducks didn't put it all together last year. Hopefully they can this year. Um, and I think that Ohio State game uh, early in the season at the horseshoe is going to be a big indicator of just where this team is at. So I'm saying a hold for me on the Ducks. Um, they need to, again, they're in, a, they're in a, a show me kind of position. I need to see it first. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's probably not enough there to be buying in that they can be a true playoff contender in, in this current iteration. Uh, I think the defense is awesome. They've got some stud players there, some legit all-American type players uh, with the potential there. But the, the schedule is rough. Right, that Ohio State game is tough. They've got to go on the road for Utah, Washington, and UCLA, who are all going to be good this year. Uh, and, and I have my concerns there. And they really can't trip up in any of these if they want to be competing for that playoff spot, which is which is brutal. But that's kind of the hole that the Pac-12 has dug itself into, and it needs a transcendent champion to get out of that and then kind of build a bit more respect on the on the back of that. So. 
I think they're they're an immensely talented team. I think they're they're favourites probably for a reason in, in this conference with what they've got there. But I am a little bit cautious about backing them in to win it all. And, and I think that that sum of expectation and difficult schedule is probably going to catch up to them a bit. And something that Mario Cristobal hasn't actually put together, you know, they're not the Clemson, they're not the Ohio State, they're not the Alabama of their conference. And as a result, you see these shaky losses that you just don't need from the team that you hope is going to go and make a playoff. And Oregon continue to churn those out. And it's not because they're not the more talented team. Yeah, and, and to be honest, I'm not sure if that's a good thing for the conference or a bad, because when you look at the Pac-12, they're probably the most exciting in terms of you don't you haven't penciled in who's going to fucking win. Like, there's actually a genuine so they're a competition. Group of five, they're a group of five conference is what you're telling well, me. Well, but so are we saying that, oh, to be a Power Five conference, you need to have already announced, uh, like, appointed your champion? Because that's shit. Gee, if, if the other conferences are so poor that they've only got one contender in each of them, why are we doing fucking any of this? I didn't even really bait the hook there, but you just jumped straight on. But I like it. I like that you, you went in. I, I 100% agree with you. I, I've said this already. Like I think the other conferences are relatively boring because we know the outcomes already. This is one where you don't have that. But unfortunately, being a two-loss team wipes you out of the play playoff now and and that's unfair because what we actually want to happen is we want two lost teams because it means your conference is competitive that anybody can win on any particular day um and there is some parity there and that's clearly not been the case across the other four bang uh, all right let us m- move things along uh where are we at stanford go cardinal now you picked them last year to be really bad or was that the year before as it was well the year before. year before the year before you picked them to not go bowling and and you were correct on that so that was fantastic they had a bit of a bounce back year four and two in the pack 12 can you get your prediction right on this football club again oh, look unfortunately i have been accurate with them and with that said i am selling this cardinal so that four and two kind of move in the right direction, I think goes back down uh, in the wrong direction again. And, and I'm a little bit concerned about where this, the future of this program and where they're heading. Uh, and I'm not quite sure where it's gone wrong because I really rate David Shaw as a coach. I, th- I think he's a fantastic coach. And, and maybe that's just because I really enjoy his draft day candor. And, and like he's often an analyst on the NFL draft network uh, for the, the coverage that they have there. And listening to him is intriguing because he comes to the table with a lot of really good insight. And then I listen to that. I'm like, this guy's fucking great. He must be a fantastic. Nice. Yeah, oh, yeah he does. Nice. He must be a fantastic coach. But then I kind of see the results. and I'm like, well, he did do a really good job for a long time, but they haven't finished inside the top 25 since 2017. Yeah, and this is a program that was routinely winning the well, competing for the Pac-12, and they haven't been doing that. So I, I worry about them. I think David Mills leaving off for the NFL didn't really rate him all that much, but he obviously had the tools there. It, it's a bit, it's a big out for them, and now they're going to replace him. Uh, apparently, they just, they just have these six foot five, six foot six, two hundred and forty pound dudes growing on trees there. <laughs> trees see what i did there uh because they've they've got a couple of guys in tanner mckee and jack west who are also built like brick shithouses i think it's tanner mckee's going to be the guy uh coming in he um he's a sophomore uh really dynamic 
big fella coming off his Mormon mission. So obviously chose Stanford over BYU. Uh, and I think he... he Did he or have you just stated that? I've just stated that. That's that's a <laughs> wild assumption, but... It's, it's not wild. It's, it's, it's an educated assumption. <laughs> uh, so he... Offers some life to this program. Uh, there's some spark there, but the fact that he's coming in uh, to a team that is losing a lot, that the their top receiving tight end is gone, uh, their their receiving corps has been decimated. Their two best offensive linemen uh, have graduated and are no longer with the program. So offensively, there's a lot to do, and th- this hasn't been the powerhouse running program that we've seen over this last five-year period. Since Christian McCaffrey has left... Love. That's the one I'm looking for. Where's McCaffrey? He was before that. He was like 2015. So we had him, and then we had Bryce Love, and he was amazing until he wasn't. He was, and then he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) And then since then, they've just fallen off a cliff, and it's been really, really disappointing. Um... And even the defense too. Like this is a, a typical program. Rely on running the ball. Have a bunch of really good, smart offensive linemen and play awesome defense. The defense hadn't been great. Uh, I think they finished eighth in the conference last year with what we've we've seen. Um, they've got uh, some key playmakers not around. So Paulson Adebo, uh, who opted out last season, but he was kind of the star player on that. Is is now not around. Uh, so I, I worry on that side. I just I think they're going. They're, they're not going to go bowling again. That, that, that's my analysis of this team. I think they're going to have to work hard. I think the rest of the Pac-12 in that middle area probably has a leg up on them, and and I don't think that this is a very strong Stanford Cardinal outfit. Yeah, I tend to agree. I think they, Stanford have not recruited athletic players since like outside of that running back position in Christian McCaffrey and Bryce Love. They've never had, you know speedy outside guys like it's always your bigger body Arcega Whiteside or who was the other guy that was a big jump ball-y type Parkinson played some like tight end flex wide receiver um, over the last few years and they've, they've lived and died by the tight end and the running game and, and, and the same can be said on the defensive side you've never had that real like dominant edge defender that can really turn the corner and, and, and beat somebody with speed uh, and, and I think that, that still holds true now. Now, while that worked a few years ago, that hasn't been the case recently. You can't just go and try and muscle people anymore in college football. Players are too good, too fast, too smart, too well-trained. And running these heavy packages, ball control and defense with unathletic guys is starting to look really, really dated. It's starting to look old school Big Ten football and it's just not working. I think they need to shake things up. It wouldn't surprise me if David Shaw is on the way out. I mean, this is his 11th season at the helm now. And if things don't change, uh, then, you know, I think he might find himself uh, with a very hot, hot seat, if not, you know, completely on fire. Uh, I mean the other. I mean the big. Well, probably the biggest concern I've got is in your top six or seven offensive players. If one is a fullback in this day and age, <laughs> which is the case, that's problematic. And to me, they just they don't have the athleticism across the board to run with a high-powered offense like 
you know, UCLA, uh, USC's new air raid or newish air raids, like Oregon's high-powered offense. You, you can't just m- try and muscle people. Having said that, Stanford will beat Oregon at home because they just do. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I think Stanford's recruiting is a bit of a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because they have high academic standards that need to be met to be able to be enrolled in the school. It's not like some other educational outfits that will kind of turn a bit of a blind eye. That is obviously important there. But then it also can be used as a benefit to say, you're going to walk away with a Stanford degree if, if you buy into this. And there, there are kids that will value that where that is important. I think what is probably uh, an interesting thing to follow in this space is the whole NIL and fact that kids could potentially make mon- more money elsewhere outside of Stanford and and not think that maybe the degree is going to be my best path to set myself up for future, but maybe it's the marketability of myself while I'm in these college playing days where I can where I can fully maximize my potential, get my most money then, and then think about other things outside of that. That's a very like money rules the world attitude, but I think we've seen a lot of that. Mate, listening to you talk about your like job interviews and shit, you love that stuff. So let's move on to Oregon State. We are talking Beavers football. Uh, they went two and three last year. I like Jonathan. Smith a lot the head coach there I think he's he's done an okay job in a really I mean what was the worst if well sorry not, maybe not the worst Kansas is probably the worst but certainly in the bottom five of power five teams and Oregon State aren't that at the moment which is certainly an upgrade unfortunately Jamar Jefferson who I think is a fantastic running back is gone so coach Smith certainly needs to earn his paycheck in the passing game this year that is where he is, uh, that's where his skill set lies. So they need to make sure that Oregon State can get uh, that passing game going because it hasn't been there. The running game over the last few years has been, the passing game has not. The O-line was really, really good last year, particularly in the run game. I think they were like top 20 in the country in terms of um, tackles for loss allowed, as in they didn't allow many. Uh, But Tristan Gebbia, Gebbia, we still don't know how to say his fucking name, comes over from the, or came over from the Big Ten. Um, Sam Neuer, who was a all Pac-12 second team quarterback last year for Colorado, makes his way to Corvallis because, I mean, when you're an all Pac-12 second team player at a team, the obvious thing to do is transfer because that's what you do when you're a quarterback in this day and age. You just shift around and he might not start this year. Uh so the op- but having said that, the offensive side of the ball seems solid. Uh, they've got some running backs. They've got some wide receivers that should be okay. The passing game and the offensive line will be solid. So I think they're in a relatively good place again, which is fantastic because they're going to be competitive on that side of the ball. The defense, however, is not good. And that's troublesome. Avery Roberts is awesome, and he... I know I've said that uh, a couple of the boys um, from Cal are going to be like all-conference linebackers, but Avery Roberts certainly will be in that conversation. Omar Spates is up there as well. Um, But aside from those two, there's not a lot to be excited about from a team that gave up 33 points per game last year. I still want to be excited by Oregon State because I just like the fact that they're a bit of an underdog, that Beaver label really... um, gets me frothing uh, and, I, and I love the fact that they beat Oregon last year I thought that was awesome um, in a really entertaining high scoring game and I think that's the way they win this year again it's going to have to be shootouty 
um, because defensively, you know, they're not going to be great. So hopefully Oregon State can get themselves in a position where they go bowling. That would be, I think, a really, really nice step forward for them. I don't know if it's likely, though. No, I think that's a fairy tale, to be honest. I think this is a team that they struggle with their schedules. They always seem to get tough out-of-conference away game schedules. So they're starting off at Purdue. So that's not the worst Big Five matchup, but you've got to go all the way across the country there. To, and it just doesn't feel like a good spot. So mm. even if they win that, it's not like a great, yeah, well done, you beat Purdue. But there's every chance that they lose that. They're probably going to go into that game as the underdog, as yeah. they will for, I think, every game that they play in conference this year so who's who's the, who are their home games give me give me a reason to get excited where can they win talk okay, me through so, their schedule so they play uh at purdue to kick things off not great then they've got hawaii and idaho at home they should win so those idaho two. idaho yes hawaii i don't know at home they'll win that one i think they okay. win both of those games then those the, the conference is brutal for them they're at usc they ain't winning that no. they follow that playing washington at home i don't like no. the chances no. they then go to washington state not great maybe? that's maybe on the road doesn't help yeah. no then they've got the, the the open week then they play utah at home who will be nope. strong they go to Cal, not great. To Colorado, maybe, but again, they're on the road. They play Stanford at home. Maybe that lightning can strike twice. I don't know. They've got Arizona State at home, and then they finish that's at Oregon. Good. It ain't happening there. Yeah, that's like, that's, th- I'm counting like, if, even if you count the Colorado and the Washington State game, that's five. Uh, that can, that you, I, you, you've got to have it at 2.5, right? The over under? Possibly, I, I mean, I think if they got to four, that would be that'd be a good season. So, and just continue to build. That would be the goal. Continue to build. All right. For sure. Uh, that is the entirety of the Pac-12 North. Let's dive straight across into the South. So, kick us off with the Utah Utes. Utah football. So this is a program who last year uh, went three and two, bit all over the shop. Um, they were obviously coming off of quite a fantastic season from the program the year before and, and it was always going to be a bit of a rebuild for them so with the likes of a Zach Moss leaving and some of the other playmakers that they had they were going to need to struggle uh, I didn't catch a lot of Utah football last year if I'm going to be perfectly honest with you I think that probably is can be said for most of the Pac-12 Um, But this is a program that's elevated itself in the Pac-12. They have become in that top tier uh, where they are constantly competing for that league title. And and I think this year remains the same. They're going to be in that conversation. They're an incredibly well-coached athlete. The issue that they're going to have to figure out early on is at the quarterback position so they've fucked so i'm gonna have to jump in here what the fuck is going on with these quarterback positions jake (laughs) bentley comes across from south carolina he was there for a year now he jogs on to south alabama why would you leave utah for south alabama you've got charlie brewer who was good at baylor who i don't know why you would now jump ship from baylor but he has over to utah what is going on 
It, it seems odd too. And, and it's not as if he's the only guy there. They've got a room full of dudes uh, who, who are going to be competing for it. So they've got Jaquindon Jackson, uh, who was a, a really exciting prospect in his own right uh, out of Texas. Uh, they've got a four-star commit coming in in Peter Costelli, who obviously there's a bit of hype about what's going on there. Um, I, I, I think this is kind of, yeah, I, I don't know who's making these decisions, how they're recruiting them, how they're convincing them to come, how they, why they're deci- deciding to leave. Uh, but they've also got Cameron Rising, who I haven't even mentioned, who won the starting job last year. Um, until the 14th off, the fourteenth snap of the season in their opener, he blew out his shoulder and was done for the year. So he's already proved that he was the guy that they wanted to go with. So, yeah, uh, look, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> but they do have a bevy of choices. And you, if there's anyone you're going to back in, it's Kyle, Kyle Whittingham is a good coach. And I think for, if he can land on someone who's effective there, then... They've potentially got a couple of incoming running backs as well via the transfer portal in TJ Pledger and Chris Curry, uh, who are going to be battling it out uh, with Micah Bernard there for touches. So they've got a nice bevy of backs to, to work things through. And I think offensively, they, they could certainly be humming. Um, on that yeah, defensive... Massive offensive line, which is just going to move people. They're going to be absolutely. tough to beat. Absolutely. On the defensive side, they've got eight starters set to come back, uh, including uh, junior linebacker Devin Lloyd, who probably could have put his hand up for the NFL and and would have been selected in the first couple of days. I think he's going to be a really important asset for them this year. I think he was second team All-American last year, and, and if he can continue to build on that, he becomes... Uh, a super important player for this defensive side. Uh, and, and across the board, that they've got a lot of talent in, in a number of key positions. So I think there's enough here for this team to be a challenger. Do I think that they're the favourites? No. Do I think that they're going to all of a sudden drop off the map and, and take a step back? That's not going to be the case. I've, I've got these guys as a true hold contender. Uh, but, you know, it, it speaks to the program that they've built there, that they will be around the mark and competing okay so you you're going to have a defensive juggernaut here they're gonna, they were fantastic against the run last year and they should be again um Vianney moala is up front with mike to uh, tafua as well those two boys uh on the well one's on the interior one's on the ends should be absolutely awesome and you're talking like all-star selections again with those guys uh what the issue with Utah though isn't their ability to win games they are racking up wins and putting double digit wins on the board the issue is winning when it matters most what does Utah have to do this year to actually win that Pac-12 championship game or maybe not that one but the game before the Pac-12 championship game that is your your playing in sort of game that they're just struggling to get over the hump and why is that what do they need to do to ensure that 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 doesn't happen this year. Well, they've got to find a way to beat USC, don't they? They've got that terrible record against the Trojans where they, they just haven't been able to do that. And, and you're right, it is disappointing that they have these this real uh, issue to, to stand up in the big moments when they really need to. 
how they can turn that around really is going to be driven by a special quarterback performance. Uh, And that's where Charlie Brewer, with that experience, could step up. If he's the man, he could bring to the table something special. Because ultimately, in this sport, we've seen that. We've seen that the big moments need a big-time player. The biggest position in this sport is that quarterback. It's got to be driven from there. So that's where I expect it needs to come from. Yeah, I I like Utah more and more. I try, I guess I just trust Kyle Whittingham. Why wouldn't you? Like, he's really, really good as a coach. Um, and again, you're talking me into the Pac-12 here a little bit. Uh, most teams I feel like we've spoken about have been really, really positive. Outside of perhaps Oregon State, the rest, and, and maybe Stanford, the rest are like, well, they, they'll be around, they'll be okay. And the rest should be should be pretty solid. So... Anyway, um, yeah, I'm buying up big on Utah. I think they'll be great again. Uh, I'll start at the top of the conference, Arizona. Ooh, God. Now, this could be a dumpster fire. But there are some people out there that are saying that they will, you know, they might not be the easy beat they were last year. Now, this was a team that went 0-5. Uh, Jed Fish... Uh, has never been a head coach. He is now, um, and he's come in, and, and he's going to try and establish his uh, system there as an offensive guy, sort of more known as like a quarterback's coach than, than anything, uh, and a good one. He's been at the NFL. He was with the Jags, I believe. Uh, he was with Miami for a while as an offensive coordinator. Um, so, you know, has got some some skills there and some ability to develop and coach that quarterback room, and he's going to need to use every single trick of the trade but to me they're a, they're a bit of a mess and this turnaround is going to be long and it's going to be slow uh the offensive line was bad the running game loses their one bright spot huh, in gary brightwell um so you know i think that is going to be problematic for them don brown comes across from michigan to attempt to solidify a defense that was just bad The defense sucks. Like, they allowed 400 games in every game. In all five games, they gave up at least 400 yards and, and often closer to 500 yards. 70 points in the last game of the year to Arizona State to your rival? You cannot put up that kind of performance. So, for me, step one, get back to not being so shit that you get blown out by your rival in embarrassing fashion. That would be number point number one. And then make some of these games more competitive. Don't give up 400 yards uh, a game get that number down we know teams are going to put up yards and a few points but make these games competitive it's it's been a slow slow death under kevin sumlin with arizona um and then you know that whole situation has eventually played out and who's the quarterback i'm thinking of khalil tate just never got going the whole thing has just felt messy and yuck and there's there's just no momentum in arizona at the moment it feels stagnated and even bringing in a new coach which normally breeds, if anything, hope, has not done that with the hiring of Jed Fish. So while they're not Duke and they're not Kansas, they're not that bad, this hope that I've sort of just mentioned falls squarely on the shoulders of Jed Fish. And we're going to know more in three months. But at this point, if you're a Cats fan, I would be praying and I'm not going to spend too much more time on them than that. Yeah, no, the, the, you're dead set right. They don't get a break with the schedule either, so they miss, miss both Oregon State and Stanford on the other side. So that's two teams that they're probably going to be able to compete with. Everyone else, they're going to be serious underdogs uh, going into. They kick the season off against BYU. Now, this isn't last year's BYU team. Almost 
everyone from that program has either graduated or gone off on mission. So I actually think that that, that might be a reason for uh, some optimism, that they could get a win there in Las Vegas. Uh, that, that could be a big marquee game for them, for Jedfish to get things going on the right right direction. San Diego State, Northern Arizona after that, win those two games, start 3-0, and and then lose every game in conference. Could could happen. Could play San out San Diego way. State are good, though. Well, they've been really good. They have been. They have been, but I'm expecting a, a regression back to the mean from them too. Okay. All right. Uh, let's push on then. Moving to... Oh, we're nearly there. We're nearly to my team of 2021. I've already got them. Yes, they're in the Pac-12. I know I've been That's cool. flirting with this for a while. We're not there yet, but USC went 5-1 and one last year. Uh, lost in the Pac-12 championship game. Probably should have lost multiple times before that. The uh, Arizona State game where they recovered two onside kicks, was it? Yeah, they, um, they had some nuts efforts last year. They, they, were, yeah. they were good fun to watch. Yeah, they were. Um, but talk us through USC and, and are they their talent laden? Are they enough to beat Oregon? Look, this is a program that is incredibly talented, and that's never been an issue for them. Uh, this program here, that they've had a lot of turnaround and change, so much just so this year, the stat that I've seen and, and pulled out for you here is that they are returning 41 players this year who have started at least one game. 41 players. That's fucking nuts. So there's obviously a lot of uh, turnover injuries, uh, stuff happening in that. They did get bitten by the injury bug two years ago, especially, and obviously with COVID last year. But I remember two years ago, just getting smashed with injuries. Correct. Yeah, so and it's not what Clay Helton needs. Like he, he, He's really up against it there. So this program this year has one of the most promising uh, players at the quarterback position in Keaton Slovis. So he has copped his fair smack of Heisman buzz at this stage of the year. I'm a little bit cooler on him than than others. I know you are yourself as well. I think we kind of want to see a little bit more from him. But he did show some really good stuff last year. I think he averaged 320 yards a game, uh, 17 touchdowns. I think part of that comes into the offensive coordinator that they've got there. Um, you're going to have to help me out. The kid, the... Graeme Harrell? That's the one. That's Is the one. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Uh, fantastic quarterback in, in his own right. Um, and they, they have that dynamic offense there so i think he's going to get going he also has himself a bevy of tools to work with so he has uh drake london who is an immensely talented massive human being yeah just give the big boy a chance six five like ah yeah Dom, dominate Late on the hardwood. Uh, did he come from a basketball background? A- absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, so he's only just recently dropped that uh, and, and getting involved. Yeah, he's a multi-sport. Yeah, he was too, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, so he, he's got that there. They have Brew McCoy, who was a huh? forgot about him. massively heralded player. He's one actually who, I'm not sure the current status, but I think he's got himself in some domestic abuse troubles, which is not good. Uh, so we'll wait to see how that plays out. I don't want to touch on that one too much, but they do have a couple of uh, veteran tight ends to tie into all of that. So at receiver, 
there's some studs. Then running the ball, they've got Vave Malapai. Hey, that was good. Thank you. That was good. I kind of double clutched at it, but we got there. Uh, so he he was really impressive last year, and he's back. Not only is he back, but he's going to be complemented by uh, Keontae Ingram from Texas, who was a more of a receiving back for the Longhorns, but I think he brings some talent to this team there too. So they've got players on offense. I, I don't think scoring is going to be an issue for them. Um, and and to, to complement that, they've got dudes on defense too. Like... Uh, I, I, I'm going to leave it to you to talk about your boy because I, I don't want to take that light from you, but they have some just athletic freaks all across all levels of this defense here. Um, they, they recruit at a incredibly high level. Uh, they, they've got a freshman coming in um, in Corey Foreman uh, who was considered to be what the top prospect by some of the some of the recruit rankings are coming in. So I think he's going to get some starts early uh, that will potentially help out there. So, so there's a lot of positivity there. They've got Ben Griffiths uh, punting the ball, one of the better punters in the country. So he is a weapon for this team here. Um, look, they missed out on the Pac-12 championship game last year. And, and I think they were, look, they had it coming with the way that they were winning games, but they must have been gutted by not being able to make it there. I think that will help solidify this group and motivate them. They're certainly going to be in the running. Do I have uh, a whole heap of faith in Clay Helton and what he can do there? Mm, perhaps not, but this USC team is certainly must-watch football, uh, and, and I think that they're going to be one that could really blossom uh, and, and make something in the Pac-12 here. Yeah, I'm going to talk just about the Drakes some more. So Drake London, I love. I think uh, the, again, leaning into the NCAA stuff a little bit, love getting a six foot five receiver that can run and he can do that. He can, he can hit that long ball. He can play the jump ball. And again, new to football, he is going to be a weapon. Is he, um, you know, is he going to be the next big thing? Is he going to be AJ Green or Julio Jones or Megatron? I don't think so, but he's, he, I mean, he could be. He is talented. The other Drake is Drake Jackson. He's on the defensive line. Where's number 99? Plays sort of a D-end linebacker hybrid, but he has got some pipes on him. Six foot four, 250 pounds, moves well, and just is a, like a grown man. And sometimes you see those guys that are just chiseled out of stone. He's one of them. Doesn't have like the length of, you know, like a, a Chase Young not quite the step of like a, a Bosa or one of those guys as those real speed edge rusher types. But sometimes he just gets his hands on an offensive lineman and just ragdolls them. And it is, it is, I mean, parents of those offensive linemen are just like, oh God, he's lining up over my son. There is a chance that this is the last time I see him with his heart beating in his chest. Um, so he is an absolute weapon. I don't know how he shapes up from an NFL perspective. I think possibly because he's not that twitchy, but maybe as a 3-4 end, he could play a role. I'm not that great at projecting guys in that space, but I do love me some Drake Jackson and Drake London. So they're probably my two favorite players in the Pac-12. So I'm expecting big things from USC, but I'm just trying to figure out where they fit in the wash. Are they better than Utah, yes or no? Uh, I have them higher than Utah, yes. So more talented, obviously. Uh, better than Washington? 
No. More talented than so. Washington? Talent, raw talent, perhaps, yes. But yeah. I still back in that Washington unit uh, as a group. Okay, and Oregon over USC? Uh, no, I'll take Oregon. Okay. Interesting. I, I guess it's just, it's it's not as clear. And that's really, really nice. We've spoken about it earlier. Um, it, it's nice that there is a, a sense of any team could win out of this top group at least. So that USC-Utah game is shaping up to be another interesting one. All right. I will go across to Colorado. Um, now I go, I've got, actually check that. I'm going to Arizona State. My bad. Alphabetical order. Still don't know the alphabet. Now this was a two and two team last year. Um, and the program has been embroiled in some illegal activity centered around recruiting violations. Um, so a bit of a cloud hanging over Tempe, Arizona at the moment. But I really, really, really like this Arizona State Football Club this year. Um, I think they are going to be a really, really tough out. The defense to me just has to be okay. They don't need to be special. You've got an offense that can do that. So on the defensive side, all we want you to do is just bring those big bodies and experience that you're going to do. Tyler Johnson's back, a couple of space eaters on the inside, and you've got yourself um, you know, a top three defensive line in the conference with the Arizona State Sun Devils. The back end is pretty solid. Chase Lucas, Evan Fields are going to be good from their cornerback safety positions or safety cornerback positions respectively um, but just do good enough things get yourself off the field on third down and allow the offense to do their work and this is where my man Jaden Daniels comes in because his good is so so good his good is you know first team pack 12 but he is inconsistent and that's what's held him back so far you can put it down to youth you can put it down to inexperience it's now time for him in his third season as a starter to start taking uh, some more responsibility for this offense to be more consistent um, to look after the ball better when he gets flushed out of the pocket um, to use his legs effectively to create for other people um, and if he can look after the ball better continue to hit that deep shot then they are set up for a fantastic year on offense. They bring back four or five starters across the offensive line, so they should be really good as well. There's so many positives. And if they can just close out games better, and this comes back to Jaden Daniels, close out those fourth quarter games better, you know, pick up one of those onside kicks, then they're going to be a real, real danger in the South to me. Uh, their conference is, uh, sorry, their schedule is rough. And October, the month of October, appears to be the key for this particular team. They're at UCLA. They then go to Stanford. So they get Stanford at home and then to Utah. And I reckon if they can run the table there, then they're set for a really, really, really good shot at the Pac-12 South. Not saying that's going to happen, but I really like the look of this Arizona State team. I think they're going to be a tough out and they're going to be in the mix to upset teams on the road and uh, certainly make life difficult across that division. Yeah, look, Arizona State's getting a bit of darling status this year and it's exciting to see. I'm, I'm a big believer in Jaden Daniels. I think he's an exciting player. He has been from the moment since he stepped on campus there. So if he can continue to turn it up there and they can make a run, that would be fantastic. It'd be great for the Big 12. So you talk about that schedule that they've got there. I really like the look of it. They're going to win all of their out-of-conference games. Yeah, they're going to go on the road to BYU, but as I said, there ain't fucking no one left there. So that, that will be a much easier game. This ain't last year's BYU. 
you. There are those three road games that you circle that are going to define the season for them. So they've got at UCLA, at Utah, and at Washington, right? That's October 2nd, 16th, and November 13th. Those three there, if they can go two of three in that mix, I think that puts them in a great shot in the South and competing for the Pac-12 championship. So it's all ahead of them. I think they can get it done, uh, and, and they're certainly an exciting mob to follow this year. All right, as we get close to the end, we get to now look at Kemp's team of... 2021 although there's a lot of teams i can pick i'll be rooting for a lot of teams in the pac 12 i reckon I, I can't help myself with oregon state i'll be okay with oregon i like the look of arizona state um and i, I i'm you know excited to see what the drakes can do at usc so but this is the team for me and i'll this be studying is at cal the UCLA Bruins, who I think this is the year for them. It's been a slow burn under Chip Kelly. They went three and four last year. Everybody's coming back. Give me Bruins football because I think they are going to get it done. Uh, awesome. Love it. The powder blues. You're getting around it. I mean, as good as I look in navy blue, I think you match in powder blue. So this is this is a, a really good vibe we've got going on here, mate. And So I should be a Chargers and a UCLA fan. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, don't do it to yourself. Um, look, you're, you're, you're dead right in what you're saying about everyone's coming back. I think just about everyone is coming back. I don't know if anyone's graduated from this program. It's literally anyone of any like resemblance to production is going to be back on this side. So that's exciting for them. I think where this program goes, how far they can take things, it starts and ends with DTR, right? Dorian Thompson Robinson. This is a guy who I was big on last year when we were previewing the season in the hopes that prior to COVID kind of catapulting and destroying the the Pac-12 season, I was really big on him last year. I, I was kind of buying in as the hype player who was going to take massive leap forward and potentially become a superstar at this level. That didn't happen, but I'm kind of going to give him a bit of a pass with the season that was had. I think he did take a step forward. He, he had 12 touchdowns, 65% uh, passer, uh, average, uh, only the four picks. I, I think it was a step forward to him, and he does have that dual threat capability to him. He, he is well-suited for this Chip Kelly offense that we still haven't seen hit the high straps that is expected of it. And, and I think everything suited up for this to happen this year. If it doesn't this year, he's got no fucking excuse. He's going to be out of a job, surely. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a lot to play for there, but I'm going to kind of back it in. I'm with you. I, I'm really all about the Bruins here too. I, I would love to shit all over your parade and, and kind of <laughs> see that you're taking on a team and watch them flame out, but I just don't see it. I think this program is certainly going to get above 500. They are going to go bowling. This is something they haven't done in a number of years. I think it's turning around this year. I think they got a massive pickup from Michigan in Zach Chabonet, uh, the running back. I think he was a fantastic player there who was quite young. I'm not sure what led to him exiting out there because I thought he was kind of the, the transfer. Future. The transfer portal is a thing now, dude. Everyone just moves around. I is get that. Is he a West that. Coast guy originally, maybe? I don't know. Perhaps. But he, was, he looked like he had a really promising career out of Michigan. Mm. Like What I saw on the field there, I was like, this guy is dynamic. He's exciting. So to see his name pop up over here, I think it's fantastic for this Bruins outfit. 
Well, he uh, might not even start. They've got Britton Brown in the running back room as well. So, yeah, those two guys together are going to be really good. It's, it's going to be massive. Um, they've got, on defense, a whole bunch of dudes obviously coming back. Uh, I, I think they run the four-two-five scheme over there, which is obviously uh, really effective at this college level. I think they've got an Alabama transfer coming in in uh, Ale Cajo. Uh, who's going to add a bit of bite and athleticism on that side of the ball to what is already an exciting group. Um, this team, like the, the arrow is pointing up. If, if I'm buying anyone in the Pac-12, I think this year, it is the Bruins. I, I like the the positive steps that they've taken. I like reading the tea leaves here. And I think they could have a very promising year for you, my friend. I agree. Greg Dulcich is back as well. The offensive line is all full up. Uh, it is, yeah, I'm expecting big things from the Bruins. So another team in the mix that we like as well. So this is leaning into a conference that I am watching. I'm talking myself into it here. A team that I won't be watching, though, as we change course a fraction is the Colorado, Colorado Buffs. They went 4-2 and two last year. Often, every second year, it feels like Colorado get out of the blocks really, really well. Now, sometimes that's to do with scheduling. Sometimes it's to do with a bit of luck. Um, but despite the, the coaching staff and desp- or new coaching staff and despite the COVID interruptions in the preseason, they were really, really good through their first four games. They then lost to Utah convincingly and got blown out by Texas in the bowl game. But, you know, they still had uh, a pretty good start to the season. But like I said, they have done this in the past and they tend to fall away this year. I don't think they get the opportunity to start well and then fall away. I think it's fall away from the start. So I am selling hard here. And it's probably mostly to do with the schedule. They get Texas A&M at a neutral sider. They get Minnesota, USC, and a trip to Arizona State in the first five weeks. That is a pretty brutal start. Now, they, you know, the Minnesota game's an interesting one. Uh, we're not sure really what to expect from the Golden Gophers, although we expect them to be okay. It is a, it is tra- a traveling game for them against Colorado. But if they can start well and, and maybe go two and two over that stretch, I think if they got, you know, they beat Minnesota and then if they can win one of A&M at a neutral site, USC or Arizona State, I think they would take that. I mean, ideally they'd love to probably, if, if they're, if they're picking that, what's that look for? Beat A and M. You're you're asking a bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm saying if they can win one of A <laughs> and M, USC, or Arizona State. Now, all right, mate. Yeah, it's probably not going to happen. But they, I think, they kick it. They kick the season off with Northern Colorado. Let's give them that one. Yeah. Okay. So they'll. Yeah. That's that's where their first win comes from. But then the next four weeks are those four. And I think, you know, even if they lose the two out-of-conference games but beat USC and Arizona State, they've got to be stoked with that. I don't think that's happening. From there, it doesn't get a whole heap easier as they go to Cow, who Will thinks is going to be okay, and they'll be an all right defense. They go to Oregon. They travel to UCLA and Utah as well. They're going to be underdogs in all of those. Um, they've got some okay stuff in the running back position. Jarek Broussard, who was good last year. Sam Neuer, as we've mentioned already, has transferred out. So he's not there. I don't really know much about Colorado. I don't feel like I've ever got a great grasp of them, but I don't see them competing this year simply because the schedule is pretty brutal. Carson Wells is good at linebacker, but he's probably the only real 
kind of big uh, star next to his name outside of that and Broussard. Uh, there's just not a whole heap to like about the buffs. Yeah, look, you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, this is a program that I was expecting to be garbage last year, along with many others. It was it was supposed to be a real rebuilding year. They had their coach, uh, Mel Tucker, up and leave real late in the piece for Michigan mm-hmm. State last year, and we thought that that was going to just spell disaster. If anything, it, it kind of gave them life, and they started the season really well, as you mentioned. Uh, after that, things faded, and they, they're just not an overly talented team last year. I don't think it's much better this year. But as you said, they, they don't get a nice lead-in schedule. Yes, they get Northern Colorado. Great. Enjoy that win in Boulder. Fucking party. Because after that, you, as you said, A&M, Minnesota, Arizona State, USC, those are all tough gigs. That Minnesota one uh, in Boulder, potential. I, w- I, w- I would be getting amped for that one, maybe. But the others, is, is, it just ain't happening. After that, as you mentioned, tough sledding. The Oregon State game, you'd be looking to get a win. But we're still looking at only a few wins on the schedule here. I think yeah. there's still a bit of a rebuild. Look, could could they continue to surprise? Perhaps. And, and that would be a really good result. And that's what they would be looking to do. Like five wins would be a surprise. Exactly right. Schedule. Like, get to six wins, get to a bowl game with what they've got here, and then that'd be a fantastic result with them. And from what we saw early last year, maybe that's not uh, unobtainable. So that's what they'd be shooting for. Am I expecting it? No. Could it happen? Yeah, maybe. All right, that brings us to the end of both the North and the South. So we have been through everybody in the Pac-12. So a couple of things before we leave. Firstly, your sneaky good team for 2021, William. So my sneaky good Washington, as I mentioned off the bat, I'm, I'm backing them into the hilt this year. Uh, I, I think I think a few people think that they're going to be good. My sneakiness about it is I think they're going to be the best team in the Pac-12. Okay, I'm taking UCLA, and I uh, don't need to justify that any further. Again, don't know how sneaky some of this is, but I think they're going to be pretty good. Sneaky bad, who have you got? I've got Stanford, the Cardinal, for all the reasons that I gave earlier. I, I Yes, they were 4-2 last year, but I just see it turning, going the opposite way. I don't think they're going to get to 500. I My sneaky bad team is the team we just talked about in Colorado. Again, I don't know if they're that bad, but question marks at quarterback in the defensive secondary to go along with a pretty brutal schedule is going to mean that they're going to be irrelevant by week four. Conference champion time. Now, I've gone chalk the whole way. I know you've picked a couple of roughies here with probably not a lot of conviction, and I don't know how much even internal belief you have with some of those selections. But here, this one feels wide open. Um, So I've certainly got someone that I don't even know that I fully trust or believe in, but who are you going with and why? Look, I'm going to wrap this up nicely with a bow for us here. I'm going to give my bowl prediction and conference championship game all in one hit here. I'm going mm-hmm. to give you a bit of a storyline. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that USC are going to play Washington in the conference championship game, one in which Washington are going to win between eight, by between 8 and 14 points. In, in that very specific. little margin there. So Washington to beat USC in the championship game between 8 and 14 points. Heard it here first. Okay, there you go. I'm taking Arizona State. Ooh. And yeah, a bit of a roughie. 
But I think if, if it's going to happen this year, I, like if it's going to happen, it's got to happen this year for me before this whole thing just implodes completely. But um, I, I again mentioned earlier, the issue with Arizona State has been staying competitive and winning performances against not only good teams, because they've managed to do that, but then, you know, you just can't give up the losses to the Colorados and Oregon States of the world. If they could tidy those up, then I think they're in really, really good shape this year. Finish drives, finish quarters, finish games, and beat the teams on your schedule you should beat. They're going to be competitive in the tough games. So I'm rooting for this to happen. I think that's where I get to with these predictions now. Is I just These are the things I want to happen. So give me Arizona State and give me... Who do I want in the north? Give me Arizona State and give me... Oregon. I think that's where I'll go. I like it. Four separate teams. Speaks yeah. to some some exciting times ahead for the Pac-12. My bold prediction, none of Jaden Daniels, Keaton Slovis, or Dorian Thompson-Robinson make first team all Pac-12. It's going to be someone else. Okay. Chase Garbers. I who that's going to be. I'm just going to say someone will emerge. Someone Chase Garbers. Possibly, possibly. All right, that brings us to the end of our Pac-12 preview show. I really enjoyed this one. This was a nice one. It felt like we weren't on the slow march of death towards deciding that Clemson's going to win a particular conference or Ohio State or our future one, which is not going to be the Big Ten. We are not previewing the Big Ten next (laughs) week. We are going to be talking SEC football. Uh, But it feels like this one was a really nice one. I'm now excited. We've talked ourselves, or you've talked me into excitement about the Pac-12. So I've really, really enjoyed that. So thank you, William. And I hope the uh, windscreen gets fixed. And I hope that ankle gets fixed and i hope the credit card situation gets fixed and i hope you can fix that haircut as well that'd be great if you can just just wrap that up completely that would be perfect for a moment there in time i'd forgotten about all of those worries when i was engaged in this contract and now it comes flooding back I know that is horrifying. It's like when you go to bed. On, on, it's like that feeling on a weekend. You go to bed on a Friday night. And you're like, man, I've got this whole weekend ahead of me. Then all of a sudden, it's Sunday afternoon. And you're like, fuck. Or the old, like when we were younger, uh, men getting out and about in town, and you'd have a big night, a big day on the piss, big night on the piss, fall asleep, whatever, pass out, wake up on the Sunday morning about midday, and you're kind of like trying to figure out where the fuck you are. You're not at home. You're trying to figure out what's going on. I was like, I just assumed I was on your couch. Yeah, a lot of that. But it's like it all starts to slowly kind of piece its way together, and then it just starts to rapidly like smack (laughs) you in the head what what fucked up shit you did last night and how you embarrassed yourself and all that fun stuff. A little bit like that, but just kind of my life at the moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's more expensive than a yeah, and much more boring. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, before we do leave, you make sure you do hit us up on the socials at CFB Down Under. That is on Instagram or at Twitter. Are we on Twitter? We're on Twitter and Facebook as well. Uh, we, of course, are part of the Vault Studios. Um, so please do hit us up there with their podcast crew, Burnley Brewing, who always support um, Vault Studios. So make sure you get a sip from them as well because they have been kind enough to donate to us. I assume it's still in the mail, J.A.? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's COVID, dude. This supply chain is really <laughs> you, you would know. 
You would know. All right. Uh, thank you very much. That brings us to the end of this particular episode. On behalf of that guy over there, my name's Aaron. That is Will, and we will see you SEC next time. I spent last night in the arms of a girl in Louisiana. And though I'm out on the highway, my thoughts are still with her. Such a strange combination of a woman and a child. Such a strange situation. Stop, I never heard.